Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. With your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. I'm Linnea Hubbard and today is Saturday, September 10th, 2022. It's been 3,117 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27, 2014, and 198 days since the large-scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia-Ukraine war. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War update is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine reports, Operational Command South of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geolocation experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mill bloggers and social media accounts with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission to report the truth, because the truth matters. Let's start with our assessment of the current status of the war. First, we assess Ukraine has seized and now fully controls the battlefield initiative theater-wide. Second, our June 18th assessment, quote, We maintain Russia does not have enough resources to control and hold territorial gains in the medium and long term, end quote, was accurate. Third, our September 8th assessment that reports of Russian reinforcements being sent to Izum and Kupyansk were false and only meant to keep morale up was accurate. Fourth, our September 8th assessment that Ukraine would advance to liberate Lehman if they had the military resources was accurate with a third offensive line opened. Fifth, up to 10,000 Russian troops and mercenaries are at extreme risk of being encircled on the Izum axis. We believe the largest military victory in Europe since World War II is within Ukraine's grasp. Sixth, denial of the collapsing, quote, special military operation is turning into anger, with local government officials in St. Petersburg petitioning the state Duma to remove Russian President Vladimir Putin from office for high treason, and local officials in Moscow calling for Putin to resign. Seventh, the Kremlin, privately, is starting to realize the gravity of the situation, with Russian President Vladimir Putin convening an emergency Security Council meeting on Friday with the heads of the Ministry of Defense, Ministry of Internal Affairs, the FSB, and the Foreign Intelligence Service. Eighth, we maintain our assessment that the Russian military in Ukraine is combat-destroyed is accurate, and the Russian military has no meaningful way to respond to the ongoing collapse, which will likely cascade into other fronts in the coming weeks. Ninth, we believe that Russia's stature as a technologically advanced world superpower with some of the best weapon systems in the world has been destroyed, and will take at least a generation to restore. Tenth, we maintain that the Russian Ministry of Defense is making battlefield decisions based on inadequate and outdated information. Eleventh, there is now a small but noteworthy risk that as the, quote, special military operation fails, the Putin regime will be at risk of political upheaval 
that could result in government changes. Twelfth, we believe that Russian troops will surrender en masse if the total encirclement of Izum is achieved. Thirteenth, our assessment that Ukraine may have a significant logistical challenge with managing hundreds to thousands of prisoners of war appears to be accurate, with reports that the Izum Kharkiv counteroffensive is slowing due to over a thousand prisoners of war captured in the last four days. Fourteenth, our assessment that evidence of war crimes would be discovered in liberated territories is, unfortunately, accurate, with the bodies of executed and tortured Ukrainians being discovered. Fifteenth, we maintain that the risk of Russian terror attacks on civilians and civilian infrastructure to break morale is exceptionally high and will remain so for the foreseeable future. Sixteenth, and only because everyone is asking us, we believe the possibility of the Russian Ministry of Defense using tactical nuclear weapons to alter the battlefield is minuscule. And finally, we assess that after the completion of the Kharkiv Oblast liberation frees up multiple brigades of battle-experienced troops and equipment to concentrate on other axes, it is improbable the Kyiv government will be pressed into any peace talks that don't restore Ukraine to its pre-2014 borders, including Crimea. Let's get some regional updates, starting with the Kherson counteroffensive and Mykolaiv. The Ukrainian government is maintaining tight operational security, while the Russian mill blogger and social media community have moved on to focusing on Izum and Kharkiv. Further, because the situation for Russian forces in Kherson is also deteriorating, the Russian mill-blogging community has little motivation to highlight the situation on the southern front. The General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU, reported that the settlement of Barvinuk was hit by Russian airstrikes. This is the same region east of Posad Pokrovsk where Russian sources claimed Ukraine made a breakthrough, liberating Zeleny High and securing Ternovi Podi. We've updated our war map and coded the village as contested. Russian forces once again attacked Ukrainian positions in Bezimen in an effort to prevent the bridgehead advance from moving further south. The Russian Air Force flew combat missions on ground forces in Sukistavok, Kostromka, and Bilohirka, indicating that the bridgehead is holding. Artillery fire and rocket attacks from Russian forces continue to decline across Kherson, indicating that attrition of personnel, equipment, and supply problems are growing. This is forcing Russians to rely more on risky airstrikes using non-precision weapons in an area where Ukraine holds air superiority. Pro-Russian accounts now state that Russian troops are on the, quote, outskirts of Arkhangelsk, adding additional confirmation that the town is in fact liberated. The Ukrainian Air Force executed seven successful airstrikes on Russian targets, while the Ukrainian armed forces supported 330 successful fire missions— those are artillery, rocket, and missile strikes. The Russian Air Force carried out five strikes. There are reports that a battalion of Rosgvardia Kadyrovites has been transported across the Dnipro into Kherson. The Chechen forces are supposed to be used as territorial guards. Their units had been deployed east of the Dnipro before the destruction of the bridges to search for Russian deserters fleeing across the river. The ferry crossing at Lvov was destroyed for a second time, hobbling Russian efforts to get more material and personnel across the river. To feed the troops west of the Dnipro, 
logistics managers have to transport and distribute 100 tons of rations daily, in addition to potable water, ammunition, fuel, spare parts, and medicine. Operational Command South did make one eyebrow-raising claim of destroying 75 rocket launchers and nine tanks. The report would imply that a large amount of staged military equipment in a centralized location was destroyed. A KH-31 air-to-surface missile struck Mykolaiv, but there were no injuries or significant damage. Our assessment here is unchanged from September 5th, which you'll find on Monday's episode around minute 3 or 4. Let's move on to Dnipropetrovsk and northern Zaporizhia. There were no significant developments at the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant or in Enerkhodar. Two cruise missiles were fired at Dnipro. One was intercepted by Ukrainian air defense, while the second struck a factory and warehouse in the industrial district, causing a fire. The attack occurred during the overnight hours when the buildings weren't occupied, so there were no casualties. Nikopol and Marchanets were shelled by artillery causing light damage. There weren't any casualties, and Russian attacks have diminished significantly after IAEA inspectors arrived at Zaporizhia nuclear power plant. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers, and analysts is funded by readers, listeners, and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at malcontentnews. Now to the Donbass region, starting with southern Zaporizhia. In Vasilivka, Ukraine destroyed a Moskva-1 electronic missile defense system worth $57 million. The system is one of the most technologically advanced pieces of hardware in the Russian inventory, and there were only nine in existence. The 1L265 system had a reported range of 400 kilometers and interferes with the electronics of incoming missiles, although military experts doubt that its range is quite that far. Ukraine had made this system a priority target, reportedly being hunted down for a month. Editor's note? Eight. There's now eight in existence. There was only sporadic artillery fire along the line of conflict. Russian forces shelled Novopil for the second day in a row, indicating the reports by the Donetsk People's Republic or DNR militia that it was captured were untrue, or Ukraine retook the settlement. We've updated the map and coded the town as contested until we get more information. There was very little fighting west of Donetsk, replaced by intense artillery fire. The DNR has exhausted its light infantry capabilities, and there were only positional battles in Kamyanka, Avdivka, and Pervomaisky. There were also reports that Ukrainian positions in Pisky were shelled. Don't worry, we didn't update the map. DNR forces also attempted to advance on Pobida in an attempt to flank Ukrainian positions in Marinka, but could not gain new territory. Away from Donetsk, artillery fire was sporadic, with one location of note. The GSAFU reported Neskuchne and Vremivka were shelled. The DNR captured Neskuchne in mid-August, and the shelling of the town indicates that Ukraine has pushed south from Velika Novosilka. We moved the line of conflict on our map and coded the settlement as contested. The situation around Bakhmut is unchanged, 
Russian forces fought positional battles on the outskirts of Solidar and Bakhmut. After being pushed back from Bakhmutska all the way into Pokrovsk, Russia went back to General Zhukov's playbook and pounded the town with artillery to set conditions for another ground advance. It's not my favorite playbook. Fighting continues for control of Vesela Dolina, where the private military company or PMC Wagner Group ambushed a group of Ukrainian soldiers east of the village. Luhansk People's Republic or LNR forces attempted to advance on Zaitseve and maintained their great military tradition of being unsuccessful. PMC Wagner tried to advance on the Ukrainian stronghold of Mykolaiv Kadrucha, and Kadyrovites with the 141st Akma tried to advance on the other Zaitseve, which is literally about 15 kilometers south of the one we just mentioned. Some assessment? After claims by the Russian Ministry of Defense that regular Russian troops would take over the offensive operations around Bakhmut, there were zero signs that a troop rotation was happening. Our assessment in Bakhmut is unchanged from August 25th, which we recapped on Thursday's episode around minutes 16 or 17. There wasn't any significant ground fighting in northeast Donetsk and Luhansk. Ukrainian forces liberated Lehman after Russian troops withdrew most of the occupation forces to reinforce the collapsing Izum front. The transfer was a critical error, and we reported yesterday, quote, We believe that as soon as Ukraine has two spare divisions, they will move to liberate Lehman, end quote. As the situation in Izum and Kharkiv turned into a complete collapse, a realization fell across Russian occupation troops that the loss of Lehman would result in up to 10,000 soldiers being completely encircled in Izum. As artillery started to land in Lehman, pleas on telegram from the neo-Nazi Reich group started begging for reinforcements, rightly stating that the loss of Lehman couldn't happen if Russia wanted to continue to hold Izum. Earlier in the day, Ukrainian forces liberated the resort village of Shurov unopposed, with light infantry simply walking into the hamlet. I love that for them. After an intense artillery barrage, Ukrainian forces advanced into Lehman from Stary Karavan. Despite brave declarations from the Reich group that they would fight for every meter of Lehman for glory and duty, only a small garrison of ill-equipped Russian Rosgvardia remained. Editor's note here. Some pro-Russian accounts deny the withdrawal from Lehman, which is likely a misinformation campaign. Serhi Haidai, exiled Luhansk Oblast administrative and military governor, reported that Russian troops in Kremina were attacked again in a HIMARS strike with up to 400 casualties. Assessment here? With the fall of the entire Izum axis and the loss of Lehman and the forested areas north of the Seversky Donetsk River, the Russian occupation of Luhansk is now at risk of collapsing. Russian troops have no reserves, and the Second Army Corps of the LNR is completely destroyed with no meaningful combat power remaining. Our assessment here is unchanged from August 18th, which we recapped on Thursday's episode around minute 22. Moving on to the Kharkiv region, starting with the Izum Axis. What would have been a long narrative of captured villages and an explanation of troop maneuvers over the last 24 hours has turned into something very different. The Russian defense along the entire Izum axis and northeast Kharkiv has completely collapsed. In 24 hours, 
Ukrainian forces liberated another 1,300 square kilometers of territory, returning 2,500 square kilometers to Ukraine in just four days. Ukrainian forces seized the western half of Kupiansk and secured the city council building. Russian forces only resisted briefly before retreating in the face of overwhelming Ukrainian forces. Russian forces still control the eastern half of the city and the rail yards, but are under fire control from Ukrainian artillery. The capture severed the critical ground line of communication, or G-lock, those are supply lines, for Russian troops for the southeastern part of Kharkiv and into northeast Donetsk. Hours after the city was secured, Russian troops completely collapsed. When we started writing this report, intelligence reports indicated that Russian troops were starting to retreat from Izum to the east through Oskil and were taking heavy casualties from Ukrainian artillery. There is a flood of reports that Russian troops are retreating en masse to avoid being hopelessly encircled and that Izum is wholly or partially liberated. We can't validate these claims, but we are reporting them because it's highly likely given the strategic situation. Ukrainian military leaders created an attack plan that will be studied for years, with Ukrainian forces executing it brilliantly. The collapse of Russian forces was almost complete by day three of the counteroffensive and has been fully achieved for all intents and purposes. There may still be pockets of surrounded Russian forces that will resist, but for all the territory south of a line from Chukhiv to Kupiansk and west of the Oskil River, it's become a mop-up operation. From Shevchenkov, Ukrainian forces plunged south, liberated Bezemyatezhne, and then surged east all the way to the west bank of the Oskil Reservoir. Meeting almost no resistance at Spolobivka, a column advanced south, thrusting to Vesele. During their advance, residents of Oleksandrivka greeted them with gifts of fresh watermelons. Russian troops attempting to hold Savinsi in defense of the critical highway junction at Vesele collapsed and retreated in chaos. Ukrainian troops from Spolobivka and Vishnia converged on Vesele and Kunyi, punched through the confused Russian troops, and advanced to Zabavnya, just outside of Izum. Simultaneously, Ukrainian artillery blasted Russian positions and troop concentrations. As of recording, there are numerous reports from Russian sources that Ukrainian forces have entered Izum and taken control of part or all of the city. Russian forces continue to retreat across the Oskil over a single temporary bridge. The Russian military columns are under constant artillery fire, with Ukraine trying to bring the retreating troops into a technical encirclement. Assessment here? This is the most significant military victory on the European continent since World War II and a crippling blow to the Russian Federation. Ukraine is reportedly dealing with the logistics of managing over 1,000 prisoners of war captured over the last four days. In Balaklia, the arsenal's first pictures and inventory information of what was captured were released. Ukrainian leaders have confirmed that 10,000 grad rockets for MLRS, 30,000 artillery shells of the 122, 125, and 152 millimeter caliber, and, quote, Dozens of armored vehicles were secured, and the inventory is still ongoing. Also from Balaklia, a video recorded by a drone was released of a retreating Russian tank moving north out of the city. Russian troops desperately clung to its hull as it barreled down the road and, to the driver's horror, 
right into a Ukrainian military column. Stunned Ukrainian soldiers hit the deck, as they say in military speak, as the tank flew by, with Russian soldiers falling off due to its gyrations. Then, then, as it attempted to go around a turn on the dirt road, it drifted fast and furious style straight into a large tree, which fell over onto it, bringing the escape attempt to a complete halt. We cannot recommend watching this video enough. It's just chef's kiss. Seriously, please go watch it. We link to it in our full situation report on Patreon. Okay. Ukrainian forces are already setting conditions for additional advances due to how poorly defended the area is and the successes made. The transportation hub of Veliki Borluk, north of Kupyansk, has come under Ukrainian fire control and is being shelled and hit by rockets fired by HIMARS. Russian administrators have called for an evacuation of the town. Russian collaborators, Gauleiters, and their proxies are flooding the Russian border at Pisky, in Kharkiv, and Logachevka. Russian occupation forces provide nothing for people waiting for filtration, creating a growing humanitarian problem on the border. No food, drinking water, shelter, bathrooms, or fuel exists. It has raised the ire of pro-Russian mill bloggers who can't understand why Russian occupation forces would treat their Ukrainian supporters and their proxies so poorly. This is assessment here. The truth matters, and sometimes the truth is painful. The Russian invasion was never about liberating abused Russians and denazification of this awful regime in Kiev controlled by NATO with biolab-engineered birds that carry ticks laden with a virus made to kill only Russians. It wasn't about stopping NATO expansion or some existential threat to the Russian Federation's existence. This was, and has always been, about the genocide of the Ukrainian people and the creation of, quote, living space for the Russian people. We know this because President Vladimir Putin's stated goal for more than a decade has been to restore Russia to its imperial borders, which go beyond the Soviet Union, and to return to the rules of czars, with Putin as the first one to create a lasting legacy of a Russia with no borders. Russia has co-opted the adjective Nazi to mean anyone who opposes Russia and Russification. Bluntly put, in what has become a little bit of a rant, they don't care. They don't care about their Ukrainian supporters, who will always be second-class citizens in Russian society because of their blood lineage. If all of this sounds very Third Reich, 1940s-ish, it does, because that is the stated goal of the Kremlin and the masterminds behind this disaster, such as Alexander Dugin, 21st century Rasputin. In recently liberated Chakalovsk, war crimes investigators have started their investigations after discovering at least two Ukrainian civilians who were tortured and executed. This is a really important note here. We continue to advise our readers and listeners to prepare for what we believe will be discovered in Izum and the forests west and east of the city. In northern Kharkiv, there was sporadic artillery fire northwest, north, and northeast of Izum. The attempt to advance on Rushki-Tishki yesterday not only failed, but by not having any reserve troops, Russian forces lost control of Borshchova in the process. Our assessment here is unchanged from August 12th, which we recapped on Thursday's episode around minute 33. 
Of course, there's late-breaking news. As of 4.55 this morning Seattle time, Russian forces are retreating from Svatova. Svatova is in Luhansk Oblast and is 50 kilometers east of the line of conflict. Well, it was. We don't exactly know where the line of conflict is right now. Russian state media shared videos and reports and showed the long line of vehicles heading east to the Russian border. There is video published with Ukrainian forces in Izum. Russian proxy forces are seething over the Svatova retreat because it could leave them trapped as they try to leave Izum. The conclusion in the Russian information space is Kharkiv is lost, and likely half of Luhansk in the coming weeks. Serhii Haidai, exiled Luhansk Oblast administrative and military governor, has reported that Ukrainian military is on the outskirts of previously Russian-controlled Lysychansk. In a post on social media, Haidai wrote, quote, Lysychansk, a wonderful Ukrainian city. Oh, there will be a lot of restoration to do. Svatova and Kremina, how are you doing? I was just wondering, end quote. Okay, so here's some very early morning assessment. First, our assessment that the Russian Ministry of Defense would work to capture Severodonetsk and Lysychansk regardless of the cost was accurate. Second, our assessment that the Russian military within Ukraine became combat-destroyed after the Luhansk campaign was accurate. Third, our assessment that if either belligerent became combat-destroyed, there would be a multi-axis collapse and it would happen fast was accurate. Fourth, our assessment of where the Kherson counteroffensive would start and how it would be executed was accurate. Finally, our assessment that Russia lacked the troops to secure their gains in the Donbass, even in the short term, was accurate. So what's next? It's very hard to say because it's moving so fast, and at some point we just have to hit publish. If the widespread withdrawal of Russian forces in the north is true, it's likely the Kremlin is working to declare the, quote, special military operation over and another gesture of goodwill. Two other things. First, there are reports from Ukrainian officials that there has been a major breakthrough in Kherson with an advance in the, quote, tens of kilometers, but they aren't saying where. An announcement is going to come soon. Second, there are reports that Ukraine has launched a meaty counteroffensive west of Donetsk City and taken Vesele, including the airport. We can't confirm that report, but that would be extremely significant if true. Closing thought. Ukraine raising the flag on Kremenets Mountain, which will almost certainly happen by Sunday Kiev time, will be their Iwo Jima moment. And that's what we know. Join me again on Monday for more updates. And don't forget, David takes the mic tomorrow, and I'm sure he's got a lot to say. Until then, stay safe, everyone. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.